Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday, the 2nd of November is today's date, and I'm really excited to welcome back on the program Andrew Dambina. Andrew, it's great to speak to you on this Tuesday afternoon. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Noreen. Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, I'm going to start the show with something a bit different. What did you have for lunch today? Ah, that's an interesting one, yeah. You know those, um, I've just forgotten what they're called now. This is no good, is it, for a food reporter? <laughs> but the, the, um, I, I, had a, I, had a, I got a couple of things on the go for, um, uh, because I was kind of like going to different appointments. Like a bento box, like a um, Japanese well, bento box. You, you, you're, in the right, um, you're in the right country of origin, but it's those triangular rice balls which oh, have a filling. I just gosh. got a couple of those. Got a couple of those. Is it an onigiri? Yeah, onigiri. That's yeah, it. that's uh, it. Yeah. Thank you for jogging my my floundering memory there. Oh yeah. yeah, those are quite nice. Oh, what are they called in Chinese? Fan tun. Yeah, like a ball of. Is it fan tun? Yeah. I don't know. With, with the seaweed um, covering it. Oh, it's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I had a couple of those. That that, that did because I had to kind of run about a bit. That kind of just about you know a couple of different flavors. One of them was a uh, uh, salmon trout. Oh. Probably just salmon. Sounds a bit posh. And uh, the other one was um, a chicken, spicy chicken. They have an unusual flavour. Very yeah, nice. For Japanese. I love yeah. those. Is it onigiri? Onigari? Yeah. Onigiri? Onigiri. Yeah. Um, I love them. Trouble is, they are quite fidgety. I mean, no, they make it really easy. You know, they teach you the three steps. You know, you, you remove the left-hand side, yeah. then the right-hand side, and then you peel the middle. I always break the seaweed. I know. Yeah. Yeah, or sometimes get a mouthful of the plastic uh, oh. separating the rice from oh. the seaweed. No, I've never but, done uh, that. That's no? weird. Oh, must be just that. That must be just me then. <laughs> that bit of that bit of unfortunate single-use plastic. Oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what have well, you got for us in terms of food news then? Okay, so it's um, it's mostly it's three items. Two out of the uh, region of Asia. One in Asia. None of them in Hong Kong. And I'm going to start off with, uh, I wonder if uh, this report that I'm about to mention um, was a loud reaction to one that I mentioned about three weeks ago uh, from your favourite magazine, Drinks International, which uh, was, a, was a report about Coca-Cola's declining competition against Pepsi. Do you remember that one? I do I mean, remember that. And yeah. I was surprised. And I was I going know. to buy some stocks. And I still haven't right. done that. Yeah, you were saying. You were, you were, you were sounding its praises. But... Um, <laughs> But, but, a, but a CNBC report that came out last week just announced the earnings of that same Coca-Cola company uh, topped recent estimates on sales as consumers drank more drinks away from home, meaning that they were allowed to go out, not just buying it for home use. Um, and, the, and, the, and the report that was made was um, on how the Coca-Cola company, which makes and sells all kinds of different drinks as well. This isn't just... The, the CNBC report is a, is a. I'm is about just looking the, at it right now. They're okay. not so poor. Not not as you know. No. Oh. Well, it's the it's the it's it's, it's it's they're talking about the umbrella group. The report that was in Drinks International magazine that we spoke about three weeks ago was just about the fizzy brown stuff going head to head with Pepsi and purely about sales of that cola drink itself. But the CNBC one, as you'll see if you're looking at it, is also including all of the other soft drinks, of which there are many. That they that they make and sell around the world. Mm. So what it boils down to is that the brand overall is um, is topping what analysts estimated. Um, it uh, Coca-Cola. This is all based on a report where Coca-Cola came out with 
figures and earnings that were above what they themselves and other analysts had estimated, which is uh, the opposite of what the company itself had declared a, uh, a, a year earlier when it, um, uh, when it also was up, uh, uh, faring badly against Pepsi. And Coke said in its recent uh, uh, recovery that, um, that it had been due to things like restaurants, movie theatres, and other places that had been closed. It's putting it down to the closure, you know, through COVID reasons of that happening. So what it boils down to in figures, and you might have seen these when you said they're not doing too shabbily or words to that effect, is that revenue was, um, in U.S. dollars, 10.04 billion U.S. dollars. That's about 80 billion Hong Kong dollars versus 9.75 billion U.S. dollars that were expected. That means that it, it had sales year on year as a company with for all of the drinks that it sells of 16% higher. Mm. And as soon as it announced that last Wednesday, surprise, surprise, Coke shares rose uh, only 3% though. But, uh, but it's not often that you get me going hardcore business on food stuff, is it? But, I know, um, you're a changed yeah. man. I think we need to get you a slot on Money Talk with Peter Lewis. Maybe, maybe the food <laughs> stuff correspondent, food and drink stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have a word with Peter about that after the show, if that's okay. But, um, no, um, but uh, it's it's it, but one of the things that's driving the increased sales of the of the brown fizzy cola is the campaign it launched, and we did mention that three weeks ago. But as a reminder, or for those who didn't hear about it, they've been holding back because of lower sales during COVID nineteen uh, in doing much marketing. They've, they've reduced their marketing budget, but that was uh, something they must have had a rethink about because we spoke a few weeks ago about the fact that they launched their first new ad and marketing campaign in five years. So five years, that's well beyond COVID. They've been kind of resting on their laurels, thinking that the brand sells itself for quite some time. And, uh, and what we did say briefly a few weeks ago was that they had hired some online gamers, people who are, you know, well known to game the gaming community, perhaps on YouTube or other, um, or other uh, online portals. And this, seems to have uh, made a sort of a, uh, a hike up in the numbers of the cola itself. So it has worked, and that's only over a few weeks they've noticed sales increasing in that. So, however, year on year, Coke stock has dropped uh, 1%. Uh, that's a year on year one as of uh, last week. And, uh, however, this isn't too bad. The company still has a market value of... 235 billion US dollars. In Hong Kong dollars, that's 1.83 trillion HKDs. But that ain't too bad, is it? All right, they've had a 1% decrease, but compared to a lot of other businesses, they're doing okay, Noreen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the uh, safe that's the to say they are. News. Yeah. Yeah. There's the fizzy drinks news that you always ask me for, Noreen. Uh, we started off with that today. Thank and, you. Uh, uh, second, second thing, we, we're, we're hopping over from uh, the U.S. headquarters of the Philly Drinks to, um, to over to the U.K., where the, uh, where the G20 uh, meeting has been. Well, it, that, that was Rome, actually, the G20 that's going ahead. But there's been a comment from the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, ahead of the COP26 uh, global warming meeting in Glasgow, which is going on at the moment as well, saying that if the COP26 meeting fails to come to some really significant agreements, 
between world leaders or um, parties from different world governments that are taking part in that in Glasgow or remotely, but making their plans known and joining the conferencing, that there could be world shortages of both water and food products. So this is, this is why I'm talking about it in, in, in Tuesday, because uh, the, we've talked, I think, before about many times, particularly in wine, where there have been um, fires caused by things, uh, by uh, arid, dry temperatures that have gone across, particularly in California, where they've had decimation of vineyards for a while. But also, there have been other, during the COVID time too, there have been other unfortunate um, crop failures. Uh, there was in Africa, also in different countries in Africa, there have been uh, droughts where there's been not enough water. About a year or so ago, there were also plagues of locusts, which kind of sounds like biblical stuff, doesn't it? But there were, and the, um, the infrastructure wasn't there for outside help for some of those poorer nations to, um, to have help flown in because of all the kind of COVID restrictions that were going on. With, um, with, with climate change itself, though, um, Boris Johnson has, has said that, um, and, he, and he mentioned it ahead of both the uh, G20 meeting and the COP26, he mentioned it ahead of the uh, one in Rome, which is the G20, by saying that it could be as chaotic as events were during the Roman Empire. That's a great thing to say for a... Uh, for the G20, which is kicking off in Rome, just to kind of put a little bit of a, a bleak shadow. <laughs> yeah, bit of a, yeah, a bit of a bleak shadow on the on the opening of that. And it was because if um, he was basically saying that if temperatures increase by four degrees or more, as they're predicted to do, unless there are great changes among uh, group, you know, groups that get together across the world to stop that happening, four degrees. Or, or more is predicted to be happening. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm looking at all of the uh, all of the research and the reports on this. It doesn't say over what period, uh, but it's but it's um, it, it was it was something that was mentioned six years ago in Paris that uh, temperatures were seen to be uh, rising by, uh, by by four degrees or more over. Uh, I think it must have been a period of can't be more than a decade i'm sure sorry about not having that uh, that statistic but um but i'm not talking too deeply or supposed to be about the actual ins and outs of the uh, the nature of global warming it's more about the fact that it's going to affect um the uh the quantity of food and water so that's just something that that's, that's come up as a side uh as a sideline if you like from the uh from the talks that are going on at G20 and COP26 about things that should be discussed in both of those meetings, really, about how to keep production of food and enough drinkable water uh, around uh, across, across the world, because it's meant to be the world's nation gathering for, uh, for all kinds of reasons, and that should be one of them. So he made his voice heard about that. And finally, um, back to uh, Asia, um, I read a really great article, which was um, uh, about, we've spoken about the demise of Asian street food or night market and food market kind of food. We had a great report 
probably about six months ago about the, the way that COVID was causing the closure of a lot of um, Singaporean hawker stores. I don't know if you remember that one. That was, uh, um, and there, it, it tracked some of the families who had been in the business for generations and had really uh, special versions, their own versions of maybe it was laxa or different dishes that are well known, but they put a little twist on it and there was a kind of guarded secret family recipe and some families were trying to sell on their recipes for the equivalent of more than a million Hong Kong dollars to, uh, you know, because they'd had, they'd, they'd always had great reports in travel guides and newspaper and magazine articles for the best type of, of, of street food. But in Thailand, we head to Bangkok where food sellers who have died of COVID are becoming, there's not, there's not a huge amount of them, but a seventh um, vendor of, of street food in Thailand, in Bangkok, died recently. And it was a famous one who actually was featured in the Michelin food guide for Thailand because his food was thought to be, um, you know, of a particularly high standard. And, you know, I don't know, we've spoken before about the way that the Michelin guide has also, in recent years, tried to become more accessible by having value-for-money dishes. So also mm. in, in the Hong Kong version, yeah. You've got, like, cheaper um, restaurants that have Michelin stars and then they become so busy. Yeah, that's yeah, right. They either amazing. have Michelin stars or they have a uh, something called Bib Gourmet, which is their way of uh, classifying restaurants which don't get stars, but they are really exceptional quality in the eyes of those critics and represent even better value than those with Michelin stars. So it's kind of even more affordable. And that's what the, some of the street food uh, has in, in, in the Thai version of that. And so uh, when the name of this guy was Chan Chai, and he was a famous street cook in the Thai capital, and he died from, he died of, COVID-19 actually oh, no. and and his children stepped up to keep his decades old business going and this was a kind of heartwarming mm. uh, tale really um, so he's the seventh Bangkok street cook to die from the virus which is um, an additional blow to the kind of continuation of street food because a lot of the children don't want to carry on with the hard labor intensive not brilliantly paid um, you know, results of each dish, which is at a quite an affordable price. But these, these, um, th there was a son and a daughter of this of this man. Um, no, no spouse was mentioned. So, but the children took over. And um, I mean, he was in his seventies, uh, and uh, it's mostly his son, uh, whose name is uh, Adelwich Tangsup Mani. That's a bit of a name. Bit of a name. It's a very long name, and he's forty-two years old, and he is getting up early every day to carry on the legacy of what his dad did, which is basically his, his signature dish is a dish of uh, crispy pork belly with a very clear uh, broth and uh, uh, a, bro a very clear pork broth, like a clarified broth with rice noodles. And so that's the, that's the kind uh, of combo. That makes me hungry, and, just thinking yeah, about you. Yeah, I'm salivating, <laughs> yeah. just, just saying that. And it's, um, in Thai, it's called guai jub. And oh. so it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, as I say, it's a rolled rice noodle soup with crispy pork belly on the side. And he died in his young 70s, 60, sorry, 73. Um, and it's the 42-year-old son that's mostly 
taking up the business of this, and his 42-year-old sister is uh, is helping out a bit, but she's kind of doing more of a uh, of a homemaker type role, so she's not there that often. So he gets up um, at the crack of dawn every morning because it's a really popular dish for people to have at breakfast as well, and. He he continues to do this, and uh, his father passed away just in the last month. And he has a picture of a gilt-edged. The report that I read, and I didn't send you this picture, but he that he puts on his uh, stainless steel sort of uh, counter in this uh, street market uh, a picture of his dad in a in a gilt sort of gold frame around there. It's a really kind of touching story that he's carried on with it, um, and it's. Um, it's just one of a few different stalls which are, uh, you know, which are having to continue with family members doing it. And uh, not all seven of them have, but one other stall. So it's two that have. The other one that has is uh, someone that's serving up. Again, it's, a, uh, it's something else this time. It's, uh, it's called Yen Tafu in Thai, um, which is pink noodle soup. Now, when it says pink noodle soup, um, I don't know. I, I'm guessing that the noodles are pink, and it's with stewed pork leg, um, and uh, and there are other rice dishes on that stall as well. And this was this, and this was someone who died uh, in his sixties this time of uh, of COVID nineteen in his late sixties. And it's another street stall that was in a lot of Thai uh, and overseas foreign language food guidebooks, not in the Michelin Guide. But um, but the wife of this person uh, continued when he died in May 2021. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that Sad there is a legacy. and heartwarming. Yeah, it, yeah it's not, it, it, is, it is nice to hear that some continuation is, is going on. And, it, and it, of course, it reminded me of the reports that was about six or so months ago about which showed it was um, in... Uh, uh, Channel News Asia's website that, that showed really desolate um, Singaporean hawker areas. They were allowed to sell uh, food and people were allowed to buy them. They weren't allowed to sit there, the customers. They were allowed at that time to uh, just have takeaways. But the, all of the photographs by the photographer just showed absolutely empty uh, street stores. It was just people coming one by one. And uh, there, was, there was mention... Uh, in uh, in this article, which was about the Bangkok uh, COVID victim stores. And it was a story by Reuters, the news agency, by the way, I didn't mention that at the beginning, um, which, uh, which does uh, seem to be uh, looking like there's a bit of a grim reality hanging in the air as to whether they'll be able to continue for that long. And five out of the seven didn't have family members that have continued, so they are, they are dwindling. Um, however... Dwelling on the ones that managed to survive, that's a nice story. Um, and that's, that's, that's really all I have for you today, Noreen. Oh, those, that's really yeah. lovely and heartwarming. I'm just trying to think of all the sort of um, street foods that we have available here. In Hong Kong? Hong- yeah. No, well, not, not a many lot. now, is it? And in, in fact, there's only probably a handful of hawkers licenses left, I would imagine, because they, some years ago it was decided not to renew them for, for health and safety uh, concerns because of you know I guess of the temperature of oil and uh, and of hot woks doing but you still see I was going to say you the hot woks doing chestnuts when the when the when we dip down if we ever do a couple more degrees than we're at now 
there'll be chestnut sellers, won't there? Yeah, actually, uh, there are chestnut sellers. I, already? I in, yeah, I live in Kennedy Town, and yeah. outside uh, the exit uh, C, I believe. Um, opposite, yeah, opposite, uh, uh, yeah, exit C, I believe it is. Oh, um, I haven't seen any yet. Okay, yeah, that's good. Uh, chestnuts yeah. and, and also sweet potatoes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them but a few times, I, which right now seems rather hot, but uh, a few weeks ago, it was just the perfect temperature at 19 degrees. It was like... Yeah, it's a dip, didn't it? <laughs> hey, what did, what was your, what's your favourite uh, Hong Kong street food uh, that is still around or not, oh, or that has gone? A f- a curry fish balls is really a classic Hong Kong. and if you It is to, classic. Yeah, is that it, your fave? One of them, definitely. Siu Mai right. and, yeah, all sorts. Yeah. Right. Oh. I think for me, it was the stuffed bell peppers like the green or red peppers with oh, yeah. uh yeah with mint with, with basically with the mint with the leg very similar. with the fish meat yeah they're pretty much the same as a fish store mixture really with coriander in it and a bit of water chestnut and it's uh um and they, they i mean very very much related to the fishball i know it's, well uh, time flies when we're having fun andrew i'm afraid we're out of time this week but let's catch up again uh later on this week thank you so much for your time andrew dambina Thank you. Bye for now.